Sunday is actually Trinity Sunday, the Sunday following Pentecost. Um, and so I thought, great, let's talk about the Trinity. And um, of course, because that's just a really simple subject to be able to condense into half an hour. Um, if, for those of you who are at uh, our little Pentecost night on Tuesday night, you'll be familiar with, if you went into, we, we created this whole space behind this Holy of Holies here, uh, where Annalise painted this up for us, and it was a space of the Trinity. So you could go in there and kind of place yourself in the centre here. This was on the ground, so you stood on this. And then you could look at all of these words that describe each member of the, the Trinity, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, and just pray. And it was a really great space. So we've just kind of popped it up here for you to look at tonight as I'm talking on the Trinity. And there's all of that. I might move to the side. And of course, that's a great picture up there that I stole from somewhere on the Trinity. So um, I feel like tonight I really don't know what I'm doing. And um, I, that's my disclaimer. And like in everyone's work, you occasionally have to learn a new thing and practice it. Sometimes that's a bit easy, like I, I've taught cooking before and there were times when I tried a new thing. There were times when I decided, there was one time I decided, you know what, it's Christmas time, it's the end of the year, let's all make gingerbread houses with year eight food technology. And that sounded like a really great idea, but the execution of that was a bit of a nightmare. And so as you're doing it and you're realising that trying to get, you know, 20 year eight students to make a gingerbread house was slightly ambitious and possibly, you know, so you can put that down to like, oh, next time I'll try it a bit better. But none of those year eight students would have really known that I was failing in my teaching. Um, they just were in the moment. So sometimes when you're working and you're trying something new, it's easy and no one really knows. And there are times when, you know, something you, you do, you do quite publicly. So Merrily, you're here. I'm going to ask you a question. What was it like the first time you had to insert a catheter into a live human being? <laughs> because now I'm saying this because this is the type of thing, it's, it's do or die. Like you're trying something new, there's no test dummy, it's live specimen and... There is test dummies. <laughs> they were unconscious on the operating table. <laughs> First conscious person, it's very unnerving. Yeah, especially when your facilitator is watching and criticizing. <laughs> criticizing. So I could pretend you were all unconscious tonight and that like I'm just practicing out something new on a bunch of unconscious people, but you're not unconscious. I'm speaking to your un unconscious selves. Anyway, I feel like, you know, it's very hard, I feel, to talk about some of these things because they're hard to talk about. It's hard to talk about the Trinity. This is part of the mystery. And it's also hard to talk about it for me because probably in the last uh, 12 to 18 months, this is something I've really been diving into, into the depths of the mystery of God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, what that means, um, 
how we can frame the gospel around a Trinitarian God, um, who was Christ and what did he actually do? And I mean Christ in the, the cosmic, eternal sense as well as the Jesus of Nazareth that we know. And so I feel like I've been diving into some, you know, kind of deep thinking and deep theology and to then sort of go, oh, it's Trinity Sunday, let's just try some of it out, feels very unnerving. So if you feel a bit uncomfortable tonight, like I'm inserting a catheter and I don't really know what I'm doing, that's okay. Um, And if you want to ask me a whole bunch of questions afterwards, that's okay too. And if I kind of get lost along the way and you think, goodness me, what's she talking about, that's okay as well. So anyway, we'll see how we go. Is that all right? This is like my huge disclaimer for like, we all good? All right. And basically, a lot of what I'm doing tonight is just quoting other people (laughs) because uh, that's just way better. Um, And I really don't have very many notes because all of my notes are on the screen and I should have printed out a copy of them, but I didn't, which makes it even more confusing. Okay, so first slide. Baxter Kruger, who, Al, you've been reading. Who else has read Baxter? I've been listening to some, The Dance of the Trinity. So he's written a great book called The Dance of the Trinity. Um, Quite accessible to listen to. There's stuff you can find on YouTube and SoundCloud. So if anything that he says tonight sparks your interest, there is lots you can just access for yourself. So Baxter Kruger on the Trinity says this, the life that God lives as Father, Son and Spirit is not boring and sad and lonely. There is no emptiness in this circle, no depression or fear or angst. The Trinitarian life is a life of unchained fellowship and intimacy, fired by passionate, self-giving love and mutual delight. Such love, giving rise to such togetherness and fellowship, overflows in unbounded joy, in infinite creativity and unimaginable goodness. The gospel begins here with this God and with this divine life, for there is no other. Before time dawned and space was called to be, before the heavens were stretched out and filled with a sea of stars, before the earth was summoned and filled with people and life and endless beauty, before there was anything, there was the Father, Son and Spirit and the great dance of Trinitarian life. The amazing truth is that this triune God in staggering and lavish love determined to open the circle and share the Trinitarian life with others. This is the one eternal and abiding reason for the existence of the universe and human life within it. There is no other God, no other will of God, no second plan, no hidden agenda for human beings. From the beginning, God is Father, Son, and Spirit. And from the beginning, this God has determined not to exist without us. Amen. Okay, how are we going? So, in other words, 
this, I mean, there is no, every, like Luke said, what did you say last week? Every statement we make about God is an understatement. Every way we try to image the Trinity is just going to fall so short and flat. But this, in the sense, is the divine dance of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit uh, have always, forever existed in love and goodness, in creativity and passion and relationship. That when we talk about God being existent before all eternity and all, all, all the, you know, the question that your kids always ask you, well, where did God come from? It, what, often in our minds we just imagine God as solitary, but God was never solitary. God was always relationship. And that was never sad and lonely and boring. Like God didn't create us or the world because he was bored or because he needed relationship. God existed in eternal relationship. And it's like this divine joy and life and energy and light and goodness. The, the natural product of all of this was that God created. And we Everything that is in being has come into being through the life of God. Every good and perfect gift, everything good and wonderful, us and all of created order, exist out of the overflow of the life of the Trinity. Yeah? Okay, what's my next slide? This is where I need... Richard Raw on the Trinity. At the heart of Christian revelation... God is not seen as a distant, static monarch, but a divine circle dance. As the early fathers of the church dared to call it, in Greek, perichoresis, which is the origin of our word choreography, God is the Holy One, presenced in the dynamic and loving action of three. This divine circle dance is not a closed circle. We're all invited in. All creation is invited in, and this is the liberation God intended from the beginning. The divine intention, this audacious invitation, is embedded in creation itself. It later becomes concrete, personal, and touchable in Jesus. In other words, divine inclusion... Again, what we rightly name salvation was plan A and not plan B. This is why it sometimes gets a little bit hard for me to wrap my head and think about how we communicate this. Because if I was to tell you what the story of the gospel as it's been communicated to me it would always be along the lines that because we sinned, Jesus had to act in order to get us back. But Trinitarian understanding and scripture tells us that salvation or inclusion was always plan A. And sin did not disrupt that and then make plan B. It was always plan A that we be included in the life of God. So Jesus wasn't a reaction to our sin. Jesus' coming to earth was the natural, always planned overflow of Trinitarian love. 
Because the way for humanity to be included in the divine circle was that God and man would become one. Anyway, the Bible actually says this. Do I have a Bible verse next? Yes. Ephesians chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. So God chose us in Jesus before the world was even created. So sin did not mess that up because we were always designed to be in him. Okay, now sin might be a thing, but it wasn't a problem to the in himness because that was always going to be the heart of God to pull us in him. Because God chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. We were always going to come in and be holy and blameless. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. In other words, before the creation of the world, our destiny as humanity was to be adopted into the life of the Trinity in the presence of Jesus Christ, our brother. We were going to be adopted into the Trinitarian life. That's our predestination. You want to talk about predestination with me? Really good, but we're going back before the creation of the world, all right? We were predestined, all of us, all humanity, for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with what? His sacrificial happening and, oh, I had to fix sin. No, in accordance with his pleasure and will because he wanted us from before the creation of the world. His pleasure was to bring us in and to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, because this was a big mystery, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So God's plan and purpose was to bring unity to the whole created order, things in heaven, things on earth, all the created things to come into unity, into oneness with God. This was God's good pleasure and God's plan. Everything that you see, everything that you know, you and all history that has come before us and all things that will come after us, all of that has sprung out of God's divine life. And God said it was good, it was good, it was very good. There was a good plan set in place before the creation of the world that we would be invited to dance with the triune God and be in relationship for God's good pleasure and for his will. The, yes, ask a question, ask a question, yes. Um, well, ask me the question, then I'll see if I can answer it. Whoa. 
I think I'll get to that, but if I don't, harass me about it. And I don't, no, I don't understand it all. That's why I'm having a stab. Okay. So the plan all along was divine inclusion. Ephesians chapter 1 makes that reasonably clear. And then this one. Before creation, it was decided that the sun would cross every chasm between the triune God and humanity and establish a real and abiding relationship with us. Union. Jesus was predestined to be the mediator. So of the three, boom, 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 before the creation of the world, I don't know how they decided this, but they were like, Jesus, I will be the mediator. I will be the go-between. I will make this happen. I will go and bring all things into our divine life. Um, Jesus was predestined to be the mediator, the one in and through the very... Whom, through whom the very life of the triune God would enter human existence and human existence would be lifted up to share in the Trinitarian life. Next one. James B. Torrance says, The prime purpose of the incarnation in the love of God is to lift us up into a life of communion, of participation in the very triune life of God. Just whack the next one up because I got uh, Yeah. Irenaeus, our Lord Jesus Christ, Irenaeus really early, um, early church father, fought, no, I don't know, anyway, he was really early. Um, our Lord Jesus Christ who did, through his transcendent love, become what we are, that he might bring us to be even what he is himself. So in the incarnation, Jesus in becoming who we were also brought us to be who he was in God. Off the top of your head, what's the Bible verse that correlates to that? We are seated with him in heavenly places. Boom. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us in order that we might be the righteousness of God. This is the divine double whammy. God became like us so we could become in him. Um, what's the next one? I don't know where I'm going. Oh, look at that. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Okay. Next one. Okay, just pause there. Okay. Some of this thinking and reading, and some, this, this is stuff that spans our entire Christian history. So Irenaeus, I'll, I'll talk about Athanasius in a little. Like these are real early church fathers. These are people who were wrestling over um, who was Jesus, was he God, was he half like they they were fight they didn't well I don't know how much they fought but they we have creeds that came out of deep theological wrestling over this sort of stuff so this isn't like new although I would say by and large it's been lost in our understanding of Christianity and in our understanding of salvation um, some of my thinking or some of my reading, leads me to think that the very act of incarnation was the thing that drew us to God. So in our 
Christianity, we mostly talk about the cross as the means by which God got us back. But Trinitarian life would say that just the incarnation, the fact that God became man, that act connected God and humankind together in a unique and wonderful way. And all of the scriptures in the New Testament that talk about us being in Christ then become something like our lives, all of our lives are incorporated into the life of Christ in a unique way. So his goodness becomes our goodness, his purity becomes our purity, his sinlessness becomes our sinlessness, his righteousness becomes our righteousness because we are in Christ. And that incarnation was a powerful act of God becoming man and God drawing man into the life of the Trinity, into relationship. Athanasius, really early church father and this is Robert Farrakap on paraphrasing him it's the person of the word Jesus not his incidental deeds or sayings who liberates us from death the reconciliation of the human race springs not out of something that Jesus did at one point in time but out of who he is before, during and after all time. He is the Father's word by whom all things are made, not a divine tradesman sent to repair the damage done by sin. He comes not to replace a broken world with a better one, but to restore the world he loves to what he had in mind for it all along. This is why Jesus is so wonderful and so beautiful for us because in him, he is our gate and our door to the life of the Trinity. He is our access point. He is how we enter the goodness, the joy, the overflowing blessings, the life, the love, the creativity, the peace, the wonder of the triune God. He draws us in. In Jesus' baptism, every creature is baptised. In his fasting and temptation, all hunger and all testing of the human race is summed up. In his agony and bloody sweat, all our anguish is present. Just as it is in his cross and passion, in his death and burial, everyone's long home is held forever. In his resurrection, all humanity rises. In his ascension, we all go to the Father. And in the coming of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit comes down upon every child of Adam and Eve. It's the person of the word, Jesus, not his incidental deeds or sayings who liberates us from death. So I've said, I've, I've put that up there again because, again, this is just something that's like kind of blowing my mind a bit. And like you can hear it. You know what? It's like when you get a revelation. It's not anything Jesus did that rescues me. It's Jesus himself who rescues me. So I don't have faith in what Jesus did. My faith and my trust are in Christ. I am trusting that he's the great stand-in for me. I trust in him. I don't trust in what he did for me. I trust in him. This is 
It's a distinction, but it brings real life and liberty because then we don't have to fight about how, what he did or why he did or how he did it. It's not transactional. It's relational. It's no longer a, something that is, was exchanged somehow between God and Jesus and the devil. It becomes the life of Jesus that I have faith and trust in and he takes me all the way to the Father and all the way into the life of the Spirit. So it's like this subtle distinction, but it makes a big difference. It's made a big difference to me. Because all of a sudden, all of these verses in the New Testament about being in Christ. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. For in him we live and move and have our being. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now, I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Or a translation that Cheryl pointed us to recently was, I live by the faith of the Son of God. It ain't my faith that gets me to heaven. It's the faith of Jesus that gets me to heaven. And I just trust in him. And he's got faith. And he loved me and gave himself for me. And Colossians, next one, Oren. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So my life, my Carolyn, is hidden with Christ in God. That's how I get there. Because when I come here, I'm hiding in the sun. Him and me, I'm hiding in him and I enter into this triune life and, and beauty and goodness of the Trinity because I come in with Christ. This is the miracle of the incarnation. This is how God is entering our human life and how we enter into the life of God because we come in him. In, in his death I died and in his resurrection I rose and I now live in his resurrection life and I'm now in Christ. Yes. Yes, ask a question. <laughs> ask a question. Okay, yeah, ask a question. I will pause here and ask a question. Yes, go, Chris. Like, I know the Bible talks about hidden and stuff. Um, like, are we hiding from the Father and the Spirit? Was that your question, Jade? No. No. It's our doorway. We're not hiding. This, No. Because it's like a dwelling, yeah. That would be a better word than hiding. Are we? Ooh, are we hidden from death and decay? Hidden from the consequences of our sin, maybe? What were you saying, Linda? He's going to live. Mm. Yeah. Let me come back to pointing out something about are we hidden from God somehow? Because it, point, it points out this thing that we have in our Christian theology where somehow God is angry and wrathful and has to punish us for our sins, but somehow Jesus stands in and takes our punishment from the angry God and then we somehow... It, that, that's in our thinking, Right? The problem with that is it breaks up Trinitarian life and Trinitarian flow because how can there be ang like the anger and loneliness and punishment and wrath in this? There isn't. There is life eternal. 
How could the Son, how could God, like what was the Holy Spirit doing? This is what I think this is what Baxter Kruger says. If Jesus, if God was angry and was punishing Jesus on the cross, what was the Holy Spirit doing? Was he like the mum caught between an angry dad and the son going, oh my God, am I on, am I on dad's side or am I on my son's side? Like it breaks up the whole Trinitarian life. It can't work like that. It can't be that because that doesn't really represent the heart of what the Trinity is in our scriptures. So we're not hidden from any kind of punitive God or angry God because it just doesn't work for who we know God to be. Now, I don't have all the answers to the questions, unfortunately. Jade, what were you going to ask? Accusation. You know how the... Because we're the righteousness of God in Christ and this hiddenness from all accusation of the enemy. Could be, yeah. I felt like what you were saying was a really big point about um, it's not about what God's done for us or something. What you said was big, and I was just asking if you could kind of say it again. Say it again. So it's not a. It's not in G. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I know. What the heck is that? This is, now, that doesn't mean Jesus didn't do things. Jesus did a lot of things. But what I think is a mystery at the heart of the incarnation is that this mysterious presence of God as man made the way for our oneness. It was happening. It was happening from the beginning. It was happening from the birth of Jesus. Somewhere in that, which was, the Bible does seem to say, was planned before the creation of the world, that somehow there would be a way for humanity to come into the life of God and Jesus was the way. Now, Jesus still did things, but we often look at the things Jesus did and think that's the way we get in. But I actually just think, and that then when we hear scriptures in the New Testament about Christ being the first fruits, it's like this thing that the res- in the resurrection, in the raising, there's first fruits that are coming out, that Jesus is the first fruits of the new connection. Keep, I don't know, yeah. I've, so, yeah, Nick, Nick. Yes. So, in the young adult home group we did with Oren, we looked at how Jewish people would look at their their scriptures and how it was very like um, contractual to like kind of like put God God wrote down something and then they kept him to it. So with the Trinity, Jesus is in the Trinity, and as soon as Jesus becomes man, that makes us in the Trinity. It's like it's in the contract. So the person of God, not the action of God. God is in. I know. <laughs> I know. So this is why. I, I, this is the uncomfortable catheter going up the urethra canal. And I don't have the answers, but I'm really happy to provoke you. And this is why, because I have been diving into some of this and I might get it wrong. I might be poking up the wrong tube or I might be twitching a bit at the sides. But this has given me life. I cannot tell, and I will go, I will, maybe if we get there, there's all these hands going. In my relationship with God, I've come alive thinking about some of this. Where, where are you pointing me, Anthony? Oh, both of you. 
I just read that um, hidden, like Christ isn't hidden, like Christ is out there. We're hidden with Christ, um, so like we're not disappearing or anything, but I, I just um, got a sense of that intimacy. It, it talks about a mystery that was before time began, and I think I, I thought what he was trying to say is that we're, we're taken into that most intimate intimate hidden place that people just can't see we didn't know existed we're, we're taken right in there we're taken right in there yeah. <clears throat> i just want to say that maybe um if you look at the greek word they use for hidden and yeah. them but uh <laughs> but if it um and how like the what that may mean like there's probably like 10 different meanings but um for for me, I just think of like a, I don't know, like you, how you take a child and and you know hide them with you, like yeah, like a nest kind of thing. That's how I see it. Yeah. Now, Luke, you were gonna say something. Probably sort of repeating what people have said, but yeah, like I think what you said there, Anthony. Like I think of the way Archie come gets up in the morning and. It does this to Carolyn because I'm normally making coffee, but she'll be sitting on the lounge waiting for her coffee. But Archie will like come and just like fold himself into her, and it's like this. I, I just love watching it. It's this beautiful thing, but it's almost like he's hidden in her, and I think that's that kind of relationship that it's talking about here. And I think the other image that's helpful is that in the New Testament all the time it's talking about this idea of the marriage of Christ and His bride. Um, which can be weird for us to think about, but I think that the idea of marriage is this complete, like Michael was saying, intimacy and oneness. And so for us to be hidden with Christ, I think is this picture of relationship and of unity and of us um, being in together. Unless, yeah. I could. Just thinking of Revelation where it says we're co-heirs of heaven. I'm looking at that clock and just realising it's not working, I don't think. So it's not a good... It is... Oh, it's 20 past five. Okay, all good. Um, oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. All right, what's my just what's my next slide? <laughs> okay, okay, this may help with the sin thing, Nick. When Adam and Eve rebelled, ushering in chaos and misery into God's creation, the Father, Son, and Spirit never abandoned their dream but wonderfully incorporated darkness and sin into the tapestry of the coming incarnation. As the Father's Son became human, and as he submitted himself to bear our anger and bizarre blindness, bizarre blindness because we couldn't even see the life of God when it came and stood right in front of us, and as he gave himself to suffer a murderous death at our hands, he established a real and abiding relationship with 
fallen humanity at our very worst. And he brought his Father and the Holy Spirit with him. It was in Jesus himself and in his death at our bitter hands that the Trinitarian life of God pitched its tent in our hell on earth, thereby uniting all that the Father, Son and Spirit share with all that we are in our brokenness, shame and sin. Adoption. Al. <laughs> you can come at it from another angle. Um, the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit rested on people for anointings and a ministry like Samson and, and different guys. But the New Testament, God was, God was in the Holy of Holies and there was a veil there. So he wasn't in everybody. <laughs> but when the veil was torn from top to bottom, and I've been told by some people in the past the teaching was so you could walk in there, but I don't see it that way now. <laughs> it was torn so he could come out. When Jesus recreates you, all right, and your new birth, God the Father, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, God is now free to come and reside in you, John 17. So that's what happened. <laughs> he came out of his Holy of Holies and his desire, he's been waiting 2,000, 3,000 years, whatever it was, to get out of that little box <laughs> and come and live with us. So sin um, I'm not going to say this very well because I'm just repeating something I heard that I haven't really digested yet but our this is what I heard our contribution to the Trinitarian life was to murder Jesus and God says just watch what I can do with that. And he turns it into union. Why that's important and why it is that Jesus died, God died at the hands of our sin. And this guy talks about, you know, it's not sinners in the hands of an angry God, it's God in the hands of angry sinners. When, when we the royal we, crucified Jesus, God turns that into our adoption. That's quite a powerful cosmic rabbit hat pulling. What that means for me and you, and this is where you need to go away and chew on this for a while, this is what it says to me. If God can do that with my murder of him, then there is no sin in me that I do, that I participate in, that God cannot turn into glorious relationship. There is no sin in me, there is no brokenness in me, there is no repetitive thing that I do that God 
that that stops the breakthrough of God in my life in drawing me into the life of the Trinity. Sin is just not an obstacle because God went to the most sinful place and pitched his tent there and said, now I belong with you and you belong with me. So in your life, in your sin, in your struggles, in your shame, in those things you can't stop doing or that stuff you can't stop thinking, none of that withdraws you from the life of God, from God's angle. It affects the way we perceive and enjoy the life of God, but it doesn't dynamically take us out because there is no place dark enough that can extinguish the light of God. That's the power of the cross. And our great enemy was always death. And sin was always the mafia boss's death goonies. And Jesus conquered death by blowing it apart on the inside. And now death is no longer our enemy. I don't know if that helps with the sin thing, Nick. But um, no, all right. Um, okay. All right, that's, yeah, that's, so uh, that's, that's as much as I've got to give you. I don't know if it, what, what was your question, Nick? Ask me a question again. Oh. <laughs> An observation about sin. As in Jesus wasn't the plan to fix sin. Mm. It was fixed along the way. I might have to chew on that. Possibly. I think we have a bigger problem with sin than God does. We've made no. I don't mean. I don't. What I. Don't, I don't mean that cosmically. Like God has no problem with sin. What I mean is in our in our practice of Christianity, we live like. God has a big problem with sin. But Jesus tells us God does not have a big problem with sin because he's fixed it and we're in. It's only our hang-ups that exist now. It's like slavery. The Bible uses lots of language, yeah. Okay. Um, this, so... <laughs> Sorry. Maybe this will go down as a fail. I'll be like, never never do that again. Um, no, no, no. Okay, so this is how it's helped me um, along the way. And I have shared this with you before. I, Whenever I pray, now this, it's like my whole, my whole um, imagination of my life in God and of God in me has shifted. So now I no longer relate to God as a solitary thing, I live in the life of the Trinity. So I live here all the time. This is where I live and move and have my being. I sin in here. I yell at my children in here. I lie in here. I do naughty things in here. I love in here. I do everything in here. And nothing I do gets me out of here. Nothing I do earned me to get in there because I'm in there in Christ. I'm in the bosom of the Father. I'm in the Trinitarian flow. And at any moment when I want to access the life of God, I can do that. I don't need to earn my way in and I can't get my way out. This is where you live too, all the time. In the moment of your worst sin, 
you are still living here. God does not reject you, nor does he leave you, but you are found in him. So when I pray, I pray in this place. When I grieve, I grieve in this place. When I hurt, I hurt in this place. It's all like, so the question now, where was God when that was happening? It was like God was in me and I was in him and he was there and he was present and he was in pain too. And I was here and I can go back there and, and feel God in that place. Anthony, you want to say something? I just wanted to ask, what um, could you elaborate for me about repentance? Because you know, when Jesus like would heal someone and then say, like, "Go and repent," or is that like I asked Michael and he said it was after they were free? But could you explain a little? Because yeah. I don't. I think the way I understand repentance on one level is like repentance doesn't have anything to do with me being in or not in but repentance does have a lot to do with me flowing with the life of God and living the way of God or not so when I am yelling at my children (laughs) in anger I'm not living in the way I'm not living reflective of the love and flow of the Holy Spirit so I when I repent I turn away from that that stuff and turn back into the life and the goodness of God. So that's the repentance to turn to change to have a change of mind. Yeah, yeah, with my, yeah. So let's like you know in a marriage, like I um, if I never said sorry to Luke um, and re- and repented from naughty, terrible wife ways, it would fracture relationship. Now we might stay married. But there'd be fracturing of relations. I think it's similar like in the life of you cannot come out of the life of the Trinity when you're in. But there can be fractures and there can be like, it's like if you go against the flow of the universe, you're going to get splinters. That's what our sin does. It gets us all kinds of splinters, consequences. When we turn away and we flow in with life and love and joy and hope and peace and goodness and forgiveness, we're flowing and repentance is going along with that. Is that... And, I mean, Jesus did. He called people to repent. Change your mind. Change your mind. Change your mind. So this is a, a prayer I pray quite regularly. It's a Trinitarian kind of prayer. And um, I often do it just at the start of my prayer time to enter in. So I now, I, I, I visually, in my imagination, pray from this place. I'm always praying in the Father, in the Son, and in the Holy Spirit. So my prayer is, O Lord, let my soul rise up to meet me as the day rises to meet the sun. So I'm calling forth my soul to rise up to meet God. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and ever will be. Amen. As it was in the beginning, this Trinitarian life flow in which humankind was always meant to enter as it is now because of Jesus I'm in Christ I'm in this place I'm in this this flow of love and peace and belonging and I ever will be I pray from this place holy God and I pray to the father and I thank you father because you sent the son and I pray to the son because you sent the spirit and you reflected the father to me and I am standing in you and I pray to the spirit because you lead me to Christ 
and you point me to the Father and you draw me into all things and I stand in this place and I pray and I enter in. And that's the place of peace and that's the place of joy and that's the place of belonging and it takes all transaction out of my relationship with God. It takes all attempts to please out of my relationship with God. It takes all shame, condemnation and guilt out of my relationship with God because there is no shame, condemnation and guilt for those who are in Christ Jesus and you are in Christ Jesus. So your sin does not disqualify you from being in Christ Jesus so you can let go of some of that stuff. And sometimes that's hard to do, but we can let go of it as we enter into the flow of God. And in that place, there is joy and peace. Now, the, the things that I think you can wrestle with as you, as we, as you, and I don't have any answers for it tonight, is like, life can still be crap. This didn't, like, Jesus hasn't just fixed the world. It's not all, but, but there is something about what he has done that leads us into a place to sit in heavenly places with Christ. So happy Trinity Sunday. Um, I, what's the time? Probably need, um, you know what you really need to do and maybe, I don't know, Cheryl, if you want to, 